Luke's ASAM, pleasure speaking with you as part of our interview series. I thought we'd open our conversation with the current environment. Take me through some of the prevailing themes that you're seeing in the economy at the moment. Yeah, look, good morning. Uh, well, it's the day after Melbourne Cup here in Melbourne and uh, it's, it's actually quite a buoyant sort of atmosphere. And so from an economical perspective, I'm hearing and seeing that there's going to be a bit of a boom through to Christmas. The country is opening up. There is good momentum as far as a lot of people looking at um, acquisitions and or divestments and or investments. And so as far as sort of money looking to change hands at the moment, it's, it's pretty bullish. And so from my perspective, what I'm hearing and seeing is I think we're going to run pretty hard to Christmas. I think people will have a good break over Christmas. And then I think that momentum will continue when we come back in January. So pretty optimistic. And then you've had exposure to all different types of businesses, various scales and capacities over the, the many decades that you've been involved. Tell me, what are the major issues that corporate Australia faces as we look towards next year? It's hard to sort of generalise um, because, you know, there's so many different industries here in Australia and different sizes of, of, of organisations, but maybe a few themes. First off, um, growth. How does the top end of corporate Australia really drive an increase in revenue and an increase in their organisation? Growth is, is not easy to do in a uh, sort of saturated country like, like Australia. And so are the very biggest organisations in Australia sort of looking to go offshore? Are they getting into the Asia-Pacific sort of, sort of growth opportunities? How do they find growth? And you can either do that by kind of geographical expansion and or product or capability kind of expansion. And so those organisations have, have lowered the costs through the pandemic. They've got very low on the cost curve. Now that we're opening up, how do they grow and how do they grow sustainably? Probably then to take us to, to maybe the private sort of segment here in Australia rather than the listed segment, you know, there's a, there's a great amount of sort of start-up, scale-up sort of activity happening here in Australia at the moment. Not all tech, but, but a lot tech, tech-fueled. I think through the pandemic, this has given uh, a lot of opportunity to those organisations that are building something fresh from, from the ground up. Blank sheet of paper, plenty of capital here in Australia to invest in, in startup and or scale-up activities. And those organisations are pushing hard towards, you know, growing, growing their business, proving out their business model, and ultimately either looking at trade sale and or a listing on the IPO and, and from an IPO perspective. So I think those organisations are, are, are quite buoyed for the, for the future as well. So different things depending on industry and also sort of size and scale of, of the company. And then in terms of the growth industries of the future, what are you seeing are the, are the major drivers for growth moving forward? If you were kind of sitting back and sort of saying, okay, well, what industries over the next three to five years are going to kind of outperform? I, I get very excited by health and I get very excited by tech. And so um, if you're on a, on a on sort of a health play, health industry, whether that be retirement homes, aged care homes, anything that really plays in that sort of health, health specter, and you're integrating technology for the benefit of the patient in, in the health context, I think that's a, that's a really, really sweet spot. Um, the second one is, is, is tech, whether it be 
um, you know, fintech, whether it be um, health tech, whether it be uh, energy uh, tech and the move to, to green and everything that that's going to, going to do. So I'd kind of play in and around health, I'd kind of play in and around tech, and probably if I was to push for a third, you know, 2050 will be on us quickly. Everyone's moving towards what a, what a kind of a net zero will, will look like. Business has a role to play in that, it's not just government policy. And so every organisation here in Australia will be looking at, okay, well, what does this mean to, to my organisation and how do I pivot and change such that I can do what I need to do from that regard? Speaking of the pandemic, we're sitting in the offices of Sayers Group here this morning. Of course, you launched your own business, I think unofficially at uh, maybe mid last year in June, July last year, and then officially in, in February of this year. What, what was going through your mind and, and how's the business grown? Yeah, look, it was, a, uh, it was a, an interesting time to, to launch a startup, but what was I thinking? I was thinking there was, there was a new model here of kind of fusing investment capability, advisory and services capability and platform capability together. And so we've come up with a model that's kind of, it's, it's not PE, it's not VC, it's not professional services, it's not wealth management, it's a combination of advisory and investment capability. And, you know, we'll obviously provide services to our clients, but we'll also look to take equity with those clients that we think that's that's the right answer. And so it's it's a it's a quite a unique, different model here. What was I thinking? I was uh, I was excited, and I was also, you know, un, unsure and vulnerable, and you know, lots of concerns and all of those emotions. And so in any one day, I kind of go from joyous and positive to oh gosh, and and worried. Uh, but, you know, look, the pandemic was hard, but it also gave us a great opportunity not to get distracted, to stay very focused from the, from the kitchen bench and make sure that we do all the things that we needed to do infrastructure-wise, you know, absolutely right. And so getting the, the governance structures in place, getting the investment structures in place, getting a financial services licence, getting ourselves an office, getting ourselves kind of set up such that we could open the door and then and then look to delight our clients sort of going forward. We were able to get all those sort of in the ground things right rather than be be distracted trying to run around and meet clients and, and bring clients on board, which um, which is the positive that, that we've definitely taken taken out of it. And how different is it launching your own business having come from being the chief executive officer of, of PwC? How much more hands-on do you have to be when you when you're launching and, and building this business? Yeah, look, it's um, on the one hand incredibly liberating because when you're a part of a large organisation or whether that be local or whether it be global, there are there are a lot of boundaries around you as to what you can and can't can't do, and 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 that's right for that that sort of context and and those sort of sort of organisations. Here, with a blank sheet of paper, there's there just isn't those those boundaries. You've got to you've got to create those boundaries and you've got to you've got to put them sort of around you and the organisation to make sure that you get the trade-off between risk and reward uh, right. What does it mean for my role? My role on any one day can be 
um, answering the front door here at the office through to the big decisions of do we put a coffee machine in the, in the, in the canteen um, through to dealing with the highest levels of government and or corporate Australia. And so you don't have teams of people and infrastructure to sort of lean on. You probably outsource more of those sorts of things rather than, than insource in a, in a big organisation. And you're able to kind of, you know, flex up or flex down depending on what the issue is that you're trying to, trying to solve. But um, yeah, my day is very, uh, very varied. <laughs> and then in terms of culture, how do you go about building culture? And I think you've got about 90 or 95 staff at last count. What are the benefits of having staff come across from a whole range of different companies and industries? If there's been one part of the pandemic that has kind of been the most difficult to kind of traverse it's it's been building kind of purpose and culture and values and the right vibe and energy with the with the team we have kind of scaled up quickly which you know I'm I'm very sort of grateful for those for those clients that have backed us in and and driven that that demand to bring such a such a large number of people on so quickly but getting them together and building the culture when you can't physically get together has been hard and so you know we have sort of different people from different industries and different organizations which i think is a really real positive thing and so you know we've got people from goldman's we've got people from macquarie we've got people from jb weir we've got people from Credit Suisse, we've got people from pwc we've got people from deloitte's we've got people from government you know it's a very varied group and now it's about getting all of those sort of tribes, if you will, to work collaboratively with the people from the other organisations and, and not just resort to the people that they know to do projects with them and, and so on and so forth. And so we've tried to sort of every week do a number of sort of virtual things to just get people engaging and talking and collaborating such that we bust down those, those silos. Now that we're back open for business, I think that will just subside over time. But that's been a that's been a difficult one as we create the Sayers culture and the Sayers set of values, which are fundamentally different to sort of those organise those large organisational sort of cultures that um, all of us have 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 come from. And then reflecting on conversations that you've had with some of your clients recently and that the team have had, what are the major issues for some of these businesses or some of these clients that you're dealing with at the moment? Is it a case of staff shortages, uh, vaccination, how they're going to grow, mergers and acquisitions? What are, what are they saying to you are, are the, the, the hurdles that they're facing? Yeah, so look, I mean, there's a couple of themes coming out. One is the larger the organisation, the more they are sort of leaning into you know what does digital disruption what does technology disruption do to my business model and so through this pandemic the larger organizations have taken a lot of heads out and taken a lot of cost out quite rightly they're saying okay now that we're back up and going again is it right to just add the heads back on and go back to doing it the way that we kind of did it before? Or is there smarter and cheaper ways through using technology to change the model? And so the large organisations are looking at various 
platforms and or technology uh, implementations to change the way in which they maybe do customer service, how they do order fulfillment, um, how they do compliance and regulation. And so there's, there's various functions that those big organisations are now looking to, to tech to take advantage, because the worst thing that could happen is they just, they just basically add a whole bunch of heads back on and they go back to doing it how they did prior to the pandemic. That's a missed, that's a missed opportunity. As far as the smaller guys, you know, as private client market is buzzing with M&A activity. Acquisitions, disposals, um, bolt-ons, um, investments, um, a lot of scale-ups pushing towards IPO, and a lot of a lot of organisations just looking to to kind of accelerate the ri- the the rise that's going to come out of this post pandemic period. So um, it's an exciting time for both for both uh, sort of ends of the market, if you will. You mentioned in an article recently that Australia needs to be far more aggressive with investment in new and emerging technology. The Sayers Group has been an active investor in a number of businesses, including, I think, Melbourne-based Alinium Automation at, uh, at the beginning of this year or last year, it might have been. Take me through how you're seeing investment in the local technology space. Yeah, look, I think it's, I think it's getting better. And I actually think the, the pandemic has helped accelerate some of that because more and more people are seeing that organisations are going to leverage the opportunity that the pandemic has caused to change the way in which they do what they do. So I've definitely seen over the last kind of three, six, nine months an upward flow of organisations looking to, to accelerate sort of scale up and start up tech based organisations. And I think that will continue. I think um, Australians have, have invested a lot into, into the US, um, have invested a lot into Israel, have invested some into to Australian-based tech, technology startups, but I think that's getting more and more pronounced and, and long may it continue, because we have some awesome tech entrepreneurs in this country, some awesome tech organisations that are continuing to build momentum, and we should absolutely do the right thing and get in behind them and, and really continue to, to grow with them. I also want to ask you about Sayers Wealth. Which asset classes or divisions are you seeing the most opportunity for investment in, in in general terms at the moment? Yeah, look, I mean, it's again, it's it's for anybody taking wealth advice, you want to balance your portfolio. So you don't want to be overs too much in any one play. You want to make sure that you balance your portfolio between. Australian listed and also global listed. And a lot of Australian wealth providers, we believe, um, are too focused on, on Australian equities and are missing the opportunities that, that, that having some exposure to global equities may bring. And so from an overall perspective, a balance between Australian listed and global listed is important. The other piece that we're, that we're very much seeing is that more and more people are looking for some exposure to private opportunities as opposed to just publicly listed tradable sort of opportunities. And so that is where, you know, Sayers is able to bring proprietary deals and proprietary access to um, a large number of private deals, which again, you don't want to be overweight just all on, on sort of private deals, but, but everybody should have a space within the portfolio for a number of, of private deals 
um, that may be appealing based on their risk, their risk profile. The third one I'd, I'd, I'd call out is impact investment and, and ESG. There's definitely a trend that as Australia understands, and especially also with 2050 and what the country sort of signed up to there, more and more um, investors are looking for, again, a piece of the portfolio to have, to have exposure to those, to those organisations. So they'd, they'd be three themes that I'd, that I'd uh, call out. And before we move on, there's been some media commentary and, and articles written about the growth of sales group and whether it's met its targets that were originally forecast or whether there's more personnel or less personnel than that was, um, that was outlined. What's the goal of the business over the next two or three or four years? A lot of people seem to want to put targets and so on and so forth. You know, we've got some internal sort of targets that we're, we're shooting for and aspiring for. We're, we're in front of those internal targets. Um, at the end of month four in our first full fiscal year. And we've got a business plan that kind of pushes us up, you know, towards 50 million and then 100 million. And then, you know, we do want to sort of grow, grow from there. But we're also focused on what are those equity investments that we also want to make alongside our business as it as it grows, and so, you know, our business has obviously a P&L revenue and 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 profit, but it also has a balance sheet whereby we'll we'll take uh, we'll take equity positions and we'll grow, as you know, with our clients uh, as they grow at enterprise value, and so that's the way we're we're kind of kind of looking at it from this stage. But again, you know, you ask anyone, sort of six, nine, twelve months into a new business, kind of. Where's this going to be in three, five, seven, ten years? We've got some rough parameters, but this thing's going to zig and zag multiple times as we continue to respond to market market trends and market needs and, and obviously our clients' aspirations. So we're pretty excited. We've got some tram lines, but that will, that will morph and change. Just for background context, I thought we'd just briefly touch on your uh, history and experiences with PwC. I think you were there for about 30-odd years, obviously rising to Chief Executive Officer in 2012. When you're appointed to that CEO position, where do you start? I think where all people start is, is kind of listening, learning, engaging, um, even though I had been in that a number of roles within PwC and knew the organisation quite well, until you sort of land in the chair, you you really don't fully understand the the uh, the sort of chessboard that you that you're dealing with, and so my encouragement sort of for anybody going into a CEO role, whether they're coming from within the organisation or outside the organisation, is to just take a breath and and pause and engage and listen and learn. And you know that's 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 also what I've what I've done here, even with a blank sheet of paper. You want to make some moves and you need to make some moves, but you can't make all the moves all at once. And so Pick those two, three, four big decisions, make those swiftly, but then pause and continue to learn and reflect and, 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 and grow. And so get a better understanding, be patient. Make some decisions quickly though, to stamp your, stamp your sort of philosophy and, and signal 
to the organisation once you've got the fact base and you feel good about it, but don't try and do everything all at once because you'll lose, you'll lose the people and you, you want to build the trust with the people and build the followership of the people for move number two, three, four, five, et cetera, et cetera. I read that one of the first initiatives that you undertook was really to flatten the organisational structure of the business to make it less hierarchical and also to empower staff to have interests outside of work. Is that something that you've carried over to say as group you want to have a flat uh, management structure so to speak? I'm just a firm believer that bureaucracies or cultures and sort of that the, the, the middle of any organisation can really, really cause harm to an organisation it, 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 because it, it, it becomes immovable. And clients and people, um, staff, you know, they, they, want, they want flatness. They want empowerment. They want entrepreneurialism. They want, they want to be able to touch and feel what you're, what you're doing with them, not touch and feel, but then have layer and then another layer and then another layer and then kind of, you know, not, not be able to really engage fulsomely and get the advice and perspective from the most experienced people in the organisation. And so, you know, my, my philosophy here is to just keep it real, keep it grounded, feet on the ground. You know, I deal with clients every day. I'm dealing with associates. I'm dealing with partners and helping our clients fulfil their aspirations. And I get a real feel of, you know, the, the, the organisation really is like, not what somebody wants to manage the manager who wants to manage the manager who wants to manage me. Now, obviously, the more you grow, the harder that gets, and you've just got to find ways to structurally keep it very real and keep it very grounded and keep it very, you know, non-BSE, just just genuine and authentic, and 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 be a, being able to have those real conversations with cut through rather than the superficiality that often goes with uh, with layers. In terms of trying to attract new staff, are you finding it relatively easy to attract new staff and, and bring them in from other firms? Obviously, there's a lot of talk at the moment about uh, pay increases, 10%, you know, per annum pay increases at um, at some legal firms. Are you finding it, you know, easy to bring staff over, or are you having to convince them to come over, or is, is competition for uh, for labour really tight at the moment? Look, we've been really blessed, and so I think it's because we're trying to position ourselves and live and breathe kind of in a different new quo way. You know, we're, we're restless against the status quo, right? We're restless and, and we, want to, we want to shake it and, 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 and see what can, can change because we think there's a better way to accelerate business growth, business value, business... Um, uh, aspiration than kind of the way in which a lot of a lot of um, clients are served today and so if you've got a bit of fire in the belly and you want to go to a blank sheet of paper and and try and wrestle <laughs> the status quo you know we're we're perfect we're perfect for that and I think through the pandemic you know it's interesting when we first went into it I thought okay well does that mean 
the psychology will be people will want to hang on to security and the comfort of kind of a big global organisation or a big local organisation. What's actually played out for us is that that hasn't been been the case, and and those people that have kind of the 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 energy and the desire and the 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 sort of intestinal fortitude to get on the pitch and really try and drive something, they've they've really jumped at a proposition like we've got. Um, but we're not for everyone, and that's. That's cool. We want those. We want those people, and and we'll only bring on those people that keep it real, genuine, feet on the ground, good people, no BS, and um, want to create something special. There's been a lot of talk about whether businesses will return to traditional CBDs, and then whether their staff will actually return to the physical office themselves. What are you finding in terms of your staff? Are you looking at flexible working arrangements? Are they happy? Do they want to come back into the city, back into this office here full time, or do you think it'll be sort of a two or three days a week in the office, and then the other day or two at home? Look, I think it'll, you know, like anything, we've gone from kind of, you know, I mean. I don't want to say everybody in the city, but you know, most organisations, there was a culture of, of you come to the city or you come to wherever head office is to, to work, you're office-based. office, office based. The pandemic hit and it's gone to the other end of the spectrum. We're all going to you know, be at home and try the best that we can at, at home to do what we need to do. And right here, right now, I think it's, it's kind of swinging back to the middle and I think it will kind of find a natural equilibrium somewhere in the middle. I think most organisations will be encouraging their people for cultural reasons, relationship reasons, um, collaboration reasons that, you know, they need to be in the office with their peers for some period of time through the week. But then for other periods of time, you know, you can, you can work from home, you can work from the client site, you can work you know, wherever it may be remotely to, from, a, from a flexibility perspective. So I think it'll just, it'll, it'll find its natural sort of um, equilibrium, I think, over the, next, over the next six months or so. I think also it's to, to just layer something on there as well, like I know here in Victoria, the state government is trying to encourage people back to the city because, you know, there's so many businesses here in the CBD that have done it incredibly difficult through this period of time and for them to kind of rebound as quickly as they they can rebound they need people back in the city and so I think there's also kind of an overriding um, responsibility to support those small coffee shops and small restaurants and so on and so forth that make this city a great a great city to also just encourage your people you know come back into the city two or three days a week, spend some money with the local, the local um, businesses and that will all be helpful to get, this, uh, to get this country going again. You've been very generous with your time, so just a couple of quick questions to finish, general interest questions, starting off with, of course, the Carlton Football Club. I can't let you uh, get, away, get away with an interview without talking about that. Recently appointed president, as we know, where's the club at now and, and where do you want to, to see it this time next year and then the year beyond that? Yeah, look, um, so I think I've been in the chair maybe two months, two months now. We've put through a number of, a number of changes. Um, we've got ourselves a, a new coach and a new set of assistant coaches. We've got ourselves a new CEO. We've got ourselves uh, a, a new board because we've changed uh, uh, half of the board uh, at, uh, at the Carlton Football Club. And so as far as kind of 
off-field changes that have been made over the last 30 days or so um, feeling really, really good. You know, the, the women's team is, is all set to go in, in January and we're, we're, we're hopeful and optimistic that they'll have a, great, have a great season. And then the men's team will all be back for pre-season training later, later in November. And so um, right here, right now, I feel really, really good about the new, the new people that have come to the club. Um, the players are certainly very motivated and excited. And uh, now we just need to work our tails off and, uh, and make sure that when the season comes around for the women and also for the men, that we're, uh, we're hungry and fit and ready to go. You're also extremely passionate about your wife's charity, the Inclusion Foundation. Take me through the origins of the charity and then your involvement within it. Yeah, so the Inclusion Foundation is a charity that works with, uh, with young kids and young adults with, with Down syndrome. And so uh, Kate and my second, second daughter, Ali, was, was born with, with Down syndrome. And like any, like any parent, um, when you kind of uh, first get told that, it's a, it's a difficult period to really understand what is Down syndrome and what can you do as a parent to, to make sure that your child gets all of the opportunities that they can to to get on and live a incredibly meaningful and fulfilled uh, fulfilled life. And so Kate founded a charity which um, started off uh, dance and fitness for young young kids and young adults with with Down syndrome. Kids and adults with Down syndrome express a lot of joy and express a lot of fun through dance. And so it's a great opportunity for them to build not only physical skills and physical health, but also confidence and personality skills. And so that's been running for, for over a decade now and has just seen, seen awesome, awesome results. Some 250 to 300 kids and young adults across Victoria participating in, in dance classes weekly, a ton of awesome volunteers that, that make that happen. And you know that, is, that has just been a, an amazing, amazing thing for so many individuals and so many families. And then over the last 12 to 18 months, with the help of the federal government and also the Victorian government, and a number of amazing businesses uh, here, in, here in Victoria, Kate has set up a university bridging course um, because like you and I, if you can't find meaningful work or meaningful employment, then your self-esteem takes a battering and, and your purpose in life takes a battering and then depression and everything else kind of kicks in. And so Australia unfortunately has like one of the worst employment statistics for people with disabilities. Um, not just Down syndrome, but disabilities more, more broadly, whether that be physical disabilities or whether it be intellectual disabilities. And so with the help of Torrens University, a bridging course has been set up. It's a, it's a two-year course and you go to class, you go to university um, and you are taught a whole slew of different skills to be able to find meaningful employment at the end of that, that two-year period. What's beautiful about what Kate and the charity's done is that it's been backed by a number of businesses that have co-developed the curriculum um, such that it's meaningful enough to help them to build the skills and also the confidences to, to get the job. And they've also provided work experience opportunities 
every three months such that these kids do some learning and then pop out into the employment workplace, do the work experience, pop back in, do another period, pop back out. And so by the time they've gone through the two year period, they really understand that job in a meaningful way and then can leave the university and go and take up um, full-time employment at that at that business fulfilling that role and so it's a it's a bridging course to really provide a pathway that's um, so so important for anybody as far as purpose and, and meaning in life incredible achievement by your wife Kate. yeah she's and a she's a ro- she's the rock star <laughs> and I know it's it's one of the many causes that you're um, that you're passionate about I thought we'd close out our discussion with what does it take to be successful I think I read that you were a partner of PwC at age 29 which is unheard of these days then you were made national partner then you became CEO the youngest ever CEO in the history of the business and now you've got your own business and sales group what are the key lessons or key pieces of advice that you could pass on there's probably a couple. One, one is, it, it, it is a lot about, about luck. Like, you can make decisions and you can try your hardest to do certain things, but you also need, you do need to kind of get lucky. And when I look back on my career, I've been quite lucky with those people that have mentored and sponsored me. I've been quite lucky in that I sort of worked in those industries that were growing. And so, you know, you got, you got kind of greater opportunities and acceleration through your, through your development. And so I think there is a lot of luck with whatever you do in, do in life, but I would, I would also call out sponsorship and mentorship and, and, and being, being helped to develop and, and grow as a person and as, as a professional. I'd also call out have a crack. Like a lot of people are often fearful of changing careers or doing taking that opportunity or sort of mixing it up. If you don't take a crack, you'll never know. And so you know, I'd, I'd, I'd really encourage people to back themselves and, and life isn't a straight line. Like, and my career is, you know, at PwC, I had so many different roles and opportunities and experiences of which from time to time I was told, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. But at the end of the day, what's the worst thing that happens? Like, you stuff it up, you scrape your knees, you learn and you go again, you know what I mean? So, so I'd, I'd just encourage people to, to try something different and back, back themselves or else oftentimes we put this ceiling or box around ourselves that I can only do this or I can only do that or that's as far as I'm gonna go. That's kinda, that's just not, that's not, not right. Humans have amazing ability to find other skills and other competencies. And probably the third one is, and they're all kind of connected. The third one is, um, you know, surround yourself with, with, with better people than yourself. You know, like each of us has strengths, each of us has weaknesses. Build your teams that are complementary. 
um, to your, your skills. You don't want a whole mini-me sort of approach to things. Get, get different cats with you that are arguably smarter, um, more emotionally aware, more relationship savvy, etc., and really unleash them and get them to, to, to voice and express themselves without, without fear of favour such that you have a very dynamic sort of um, mantra and operating model as a, as a team. It's, it's not about you, it's about, it's about the team and about the, the, the broader organisation. So probably luck, have a crack and put better people than yourself around you. Great note to finish on. Luke Sayers AM, pleasure speaking with you this morning and look forward to seeing the continual growth of the Sayers Group business into the future. Thank you very much.